Gary Hollingsworth, uh, who was with us last Sunday, preaching, starting our revival, sent me an email this week asking about the rest of the revival, and especially how things went with John Avan. He's personal friends with John, and here's, here was my response to him. This is verbatim what I wrote to him. I said, I really sense that we have at least gotten a taste of real revival. At least I pray we have. Anybody else feel that way? Maybe we just got a taste of it. And, you know, for some of you, life just is a little different now. And the reason I say that is because several of you have talked to me. You've sent me an email or, or you, a text or, or, or we've talked in person or on the phone. And several of you have communicated that to me, that life is just a little different now. That that thing that you struggled with no longer seems to be so powerful. The distance that you felt between you and God seems to be gone. The joy that you have been missing is back. And I think some are starting, not all of us, but some are starting to say, you know what, I've tasted it. I've tasted revival. And so I've been praying a prayer this week. Very simple prayer. I alluded to it, I think, on the last night. I've been praying a prayer this week, three simple words. What's next, Lord? I've been praying that over and over and over. What's next, Lord? I'm not asking what's going to happen next. And I'm not asking, what's our next assignment? I'm asking, what do I do next? How do I build on what you started in my life? How do I build on what you have started in our church? What's next, Lord? Is there something that I need to do? Is there something that we need to do to make sure that that God has access to our lives? So as I continue to pray, what's next, Lord? What's next? Three things surfaced in my spirit. I wrote them down. And I've been trying to remember these things. I've been trying to pray over these three things. I've been trying privately to live these three things that have surfaced in my spirit this week. And here they are. As I've prayed, what's next, Lord? It seemed like the Lord was saying to me, I want you to do these three things. First of all, worship like you mean it. Pray like it matters. And live like Jesus is real. That almost became a sermon series because it was so real to me, and, and it may still yet one day become a sermon series, but, but just say, would you say these out loud with me? I will say them a couple times to make sure you get it. First one is this, worship like you mean it, say that one, worship like you mean it, pray like it matters, live like Jesus is real. Do you think that maybe your life would be better if you focused on those three things? That regardless of what you're experiencing in life right now, regardless of how good or how bad your life might be right now, do you think that maybe your life would be better? Do you think that maybe our church would be better if we could just do those three things on a regular basis? If on a regular basis we would worship like we mean it? If on a regular basis we would pray like it matters? If on a regular basis we would live like Jesus is real? I think it would make a difference. And so today, and for the next five or six Sundays, I want to introduce you to a man who lived out those three things. God first gave me those three things, and then he began to show me a man in Scripture who lived them out. And it's interesting, the thing about this man is life wasn't easy for him. This man, as he went through life, experienced a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulty. He experienced difficulties that some of us know, and then he experienced some difficulties that none of us know. And yet, despite what was happening around him, despite what others were doing or were not doing, 
despite what was happening to him. He found a way to experience joy and peace in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he wrote a letter about it, a book in the Bible. We call it Philippians. And I want you to open God's Word with me to Philippians. And we'll get there in a few minutes. It'll be a while before we actually read from it, but you can have it handy if you will. I want to see if you agree with this statement. And if you agree with this statement, I I want you to say a good hearty amen. All right? If you don't agree with this statement, just keep your mouth quiet. All right? (laughs) No, no, seriously. See if you agree with this. Life with Jesus should be enjoyed, not endured. I think that is so true. That life with Jesus should be enjoyed, not endured. So so what causes us to lose the joy of living? What causes us to lose the joy of our relationship with Jesus? What causes us to to settle for enduring life? I've got came up with three big P's that I think stills the joy and causes us to move from, watch this, joy in Jesus to enduring life. What what moves us from here to here? Well, there's there's three big P's. First one is this problems. You and I have problems all the time. You, maybe your problem is you can't pay your bills, or maybe you've got a rocky marriage, or you've got a wayward teenager, and, and there, you had joy in Jesus, but because of problems, you've slid over now to enduring life because life's not easy. Or maybe the, the thing that's causing you uh, heartache is the pressures. We all have pressures, different kinds of pressures, deadlines and responsibilities and and maybe like me right now, you're kind of overcommitted, and you just, you just feel the pressure. Every day, you feel the pressure, and you move from enjoying your relationship to Jesus, and you slide over to trying to endure your life. And then there's the third P that I know every one of us can relate to. The third P is people. You know, life would be fun if it wasn't for people. Amen? You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about all people. I'm just talking about the, the VDP people, the VDP, very demanding people. There are certain people in your life, there are certain people, come on now, certain people that when you see them, you want to go the other way. Or there are certain people, when you see them, when you encounter them, it's like, oh, I just feel like I've been drugged through the mud. Or there are certain people, when you, when you talk to them, you feel worse when they leave uh, because you've encountered them. There are certain very demanding people, and watch this, because of certain people in your family, certain people you have to work with every day, certain people maybe that, that you encounter in church, who, who, wherever, but th- it moves you from enjoying life in Jesus when you encounter these people to kind of enduring life because of them. It might be an ex-husband or, or a grandmother that, that is just really called grandfather, all kinds of people. How different it was for the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul had problems just like we do. In fact, I would say that most of his problems were worse than ours. He was constantly harassed. He was often beaten. He was sometimes uh, uh, misunderstood. He would jump out of, the fi- out of the frying pan into the fire. He spent many years in prison because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. And yet... There was a spirit of joy that permeated his life. In fact, this letter that he wrote called Philippians is a letter that some scholars simply call the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. 
Now, what, they, what you may or may not realize, and we'll dig into this in a moment, this letter of joy was written from prison. See, you don't have to be in the, in the perfect circumstances to have joy in Jesus. You don't have to have just wonderful things happening around you to have joy in Jesus. And everybody else around you doesn't have to be experiencing revival for you to experience revival. You can have joy in Jesus whether others do or not because if your joy is tied to other people, you're manwardly focused. But if your joy is tied to Jesus, then you're Godwardly focused. And so Paul, in the midst of everything he was going through, found joy. You see, life doesn't have to be a grim marathon of frowns all the time. I want you to get to the place where you can smile. I, I, want, I want God to put a smile back on your face. I want God to put a joy back into your heart. I want you to quit l- living under the pain and the pressures of your circumstances. So, just to put a smile on your face and kind of get us started off good, uh, I want to I show you a picture here. I'll explain what it is. They're going to put it up here. Last month, I went to Indonesia and uh, that Sunday morning, we had a church service. And then that Sunday afternoon, uh, a gentleman who owned a, an amusement park, a Christian, uh, invited us as his guest to, to this wonderful safari park in Indonesia. It, it was amazing. And they had, also, they had shows where you could see these animals do all kinds of things. It was pretty amazing. So uh, this little young lady was sitting in front of me on some bleachers in on that particular day at least, we were the only white people in the park. Everybody else was in Indonesia, and, and they call us boule, 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 and they all, they all want a picture with the boule, with the white people. And so this, this, this young lady, she's, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, she sat down, she sat down and looked at me and, you know, and turned around. She looked at me, and, and then I saw her get out, get out her camera, and she was acting like she was fixing her hair. But what she was doing was take a picture of me. And she didn't, and that picture apparently didn't turn out the way she wanted. So she, again, looked like she was fixing her hair and took one on this side. And, and I could see over her shoulder, I could see the picture, you know. And so I tapped her on the shoulder. I had a space open beside me. I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, Come sit up here. We'll take a picture together. I didn't know if she could understand it or not, but she started jabbering to her mom, and her mom started jabbering to her, and, and, and her mom kind of shook her head. And so she came and sat beside me. And then we got that camera, and we took this picture and uh, took, uh, took one with her camera. And then she sat beside me for the rest of the show. Now, as we were leaving, I, I put on my glasses. Go ahead and go to the next one. As we were leaving, I, I got up, and I put on my glasses, and her little sister, I assume it's her little sister, wanted a picture with the boule too. And, and so, so I knelt down, and, and took, we took her picture. And I, the thing is, they only... There were other people, other boule there with me on this trip, but these girls only came to me wanting their picture. And I told Lisa, I said, I don't understand why they did that. I don't know why they just came to me wanting the picture. And Lisa looked at the picture and said, well, she probably thought it was Colonel Sanders. (laughs) I know that woman loves me, but sometimes I wonder. Now, here's my question. Doesn't it feel good to laugh? And for some of you, it's probably been too long since you just enjoyed 
the Lord. And you just laughed. I really believe that life is meant to be enjoyed. Life with Jesus is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. Perhaps you find yourself today in the if-only crowd. You would enjoy life more if only you had more money, or if only you didn't have these people to deal with, or if only you were more attractive, or if only you had a better job, or if only you didn't have these problems, then you could enjoy life, and then life with Jesus would be great. But don't tie your happiness to where you are or what you're going through. Remember these three things. You can do these three things regardless of where you are. You can do these three things regardless of what you're going through. And these three things will make a difference. Worship like you mean it. Pray like it matters. Live like Jesus is real. So I want to show you a man who did that. I want to show you a man who, who emphasized that, who lived that way, and it was amazing how he in, not just endured life, but enjoyed life. You see, Paul was a man who smiled in spite of what he was going through. Let me tell you how he started out. For some of you, this is new information. Let me tell you how he started out. When Paul first started out as a follower of Christ, by the way, he wasn't saved as a, at a young age, he wasn't saved as a little boy, he was saved as an adult man. And when he first came to faith in Christ, guess how he started out in his walk with the Lord? He started out this way. The Jews hated him, and the Gentiles didn't trust him. So here's how he started out his walk with the Lord. Half the population hated him, and the other half of the population didn't trust him. Now that'll put joy in your heart. That whoever you're trying to talk to, whoever you're trying to have have conversation with you know that one of two things either they hate you or they don't trust you that's how he started his walk with the Lord and he was often because people hated him and and didn't trust him he was often misunderstood he was often accused he was often attacked for for just living for Jesus and sharing the gospel and then on top of all of that let me tell you something else about Paul He had physical problems, physical ailments, and we're not exactly sure what it is. He didn't tell us what it was. The only way he described his physical problems and the pain that he had to live with all the time was this. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Again, we don't know what it was, but it went on for a long time. He had to endure this pain, live with this pain for a long time. Not only that, one day he summarized his life and I want you to go to 2 Corinthians. We'll come back to Philippians in a second. Over to the left, 2 Corinthians. One day as he was riding to church at Corinth, he talked about his life and some of the things that he had gone through in life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And we're picking this up in the middle, for the sake of time, in the middle of the paragraph. He says, verse 23, are, are they servants of Christ? Parentheses, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And then he describes what he's been through in life. And here's what he says. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times beaten with a whip. 39 lashes. Then he says, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in the danger of bandits, and in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from my false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Everybody look up here. That was the man who wrote the letter of joy. Is that amazing? Here's a man who was not in good circumstances. Here was a man who had all kinds of problems, problems you and I have never experienced. In fact, if I were to read down that list again and say, raise your hand if you've experienced this, I doubt anybody could raise their hand for most of it, if not all of it. So here was a man who knew heartache and problems and difficulties unlike anything that we've ever known, and yet here was a man who sat down in a prison cell and wrote a letter of joy. What did he learn? He learned that you can have joy in your relationship with Jesus when there's no joy in anything else. Now, this is, if that was all that we had to say about Paul, that would be enough. But Paul wasn't finished, and we don't have time to read it, but in Acts 28, he tells us that he was arrested and placed under constant Roman, placed under guard of Roman soldiers. He had Guards chained to him constantly, 24-7, for two years. For two years. And during that time, with the physical ailments that he had endured, that thorn in the flesh, chained to Roman guards for two years, simply for living for Jesus, in that time, he sat in that Roman prison cell, and he wrote this letter of Philippians. He was a man who smiled in spite of what he was going through. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's just amazing. Uh, you just survey the letter. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 18. And that's all we're going to do this morning is just kind of survey the letter, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now I can't wait when we dig into that to talk about this whole concept of advancing the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? I love that question. But what does it matter? The important thing, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And look at this last sentence. And because of this, I do what? I rejoice. Because of this, because Christ is being preached, I rejoice. I'm sitting here chained to two guards, 
in this Roman prison cell. I got these physical ailments that it's just a constant pain. I've had all kinds of problems throughout my life and my ministry, but because Christ is preached, I want you to know something, Paul says, I rejoice. And, and that's really the surprising theme of the entire letter. The surprising theme of the entire letter is this. Philippians, the, 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 the letter is, is known as that letter of great joy. Let me show you something. Uh, let's just take another survey. Look in chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray. I always pray. Say it with me. With joy. Here in this Roman prison cell. Paul said as he thought of the Philippians, he, I'm convinced he smiled as he wrote those words. I, I pray with joy. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. He Knowing that perhaps his time on earth was, is, is, is coming to an end, uh, Paul said in verse 21, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort with His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Chapter 3, verse 1, as he reminds his fellow Christians of some essentials of the faith, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. You might want to underline that. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Finally, brothers, he said, rejoice in the Lord. And as he's drawing the letter to a close, he returns to the same message in chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. What's that next word, church? I will say it again, rejoice. Someone said that there's basically two kinds of people. There are people who choose joy, and there are people who don't. When you choose joy, you deliberately decide to enjoy the Lord rather than to endure life. When you don't choose joy, you end up forgetting how to laugh and forgetting how to live. So in this book, we're going to be studying over the next five or six weeks. And by the way, we're going to be studying it on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Sunday night will go a lot deeper because I've got twice the time on Sunday night. And so if you don't come on Sunday nights, you're going to miss half the book. So I hope that you'll be back tonight and just get in the habit of coming Sunday morning, Sunday night. Let's open the book of Philippians together and find out how is it that we can have joy even regardless of where we're living, even regardless of what we're going through. How is it we can experience revival even if circumstances around us are not good? How is it we can rather endure life, we can enjoy our relationship with the Lord? How, how do we get there? Well, I think Paul gives us a hint as he begins the book. Chapter 1, verse 1. Get your pen ready. I want you to mark something. Here's, here's a hint, at least. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants... Christ Jesus. Don't you just love that? 
He didn't sign his name WRM, world-renowned missionary. He didn't sign his name big-time preacher. You know, just a side note. One of the things I really appreciate about John Avan, and you may not realize this, but John Avan is known across America and in lots of places around the world. And one of the things that I've discovered uh, as I've, through this year, had opportunities to meet some folks, uh, one of the things I've discovered is sometimes, occasionally, not, not often, but occasionally you get a little discouraged, not discouraged, dis- disillusioned, because you'll see some what I call big-name preacher, and then when you get to know them privately, they're a little different privately than they are in the pulpit publicly. And that's it's kind of discouraging sometimes. Uh, I haven't seen that a lot, but occasionally you'll run into that. But John Avant, man, I tell you what I found with him, whether I'm sitting on the bus with him in Cleveland or whether we're sitting in a restaurant or whether we're sitting in my office or whether he's preaching from the pulpit, I found him to be the same everywhere we were. I found him simply to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way he lived his life. And I think that's one of the reasons his message to us was so appealing and it captivated us because here was a man living as a servant of Jesus Christ. He wasn't wasn't talking about being a servant of Christ. He was living as a servant of Jesus Christ. So much so that he gave up that great church, mega church he was pastor of to go as a faith missionary now to be president of of that organization, Life Action Ministry. So here was a man living as a servant of Christ. And that's Paul too. They, they found a secret that you and I need to find. Joy is not found in trying to be somebody. Joy is found in living for Jesus. So why don't we worship like it matters? Or worship like we mean it. Pray like it matters. And live like Jesus is real. Now you say, well, Pastor... I hear what you're saying, but if you only knew about the stuff in my life right now, can I say to you with a heart of love and as your pastor, God is still God regardless of what you're going through. He hasn't changed. God is still God regardless of what you're going through. And if God is still God, if He really is God, then joy in Him really is possible. You see, if Satan has stolen your joy, don't let him keep it. I think one of the reasons that, as Paul opens this book, one of the reasons we'll be fascinated by what he writes, one of the reasons we'll be fascinated by his perspective and his outlook on life, is because Paul found joy in a prison cell. He found joy even with physical difficulties. He found joy even though he, his back had been beaten and, and some people hated him, some people misunderstood him. In the midst of life, in the midst of a hard ministry, he found joy. And he tells us at the very first of the letter, who he's living for. And that makes all the difference. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You see, 
We'll close with this. As a Christian, you and I can never, ever, ever find real joy with the external things of life. Because they're not going to last. Oh, you, you'll find temporary blips, but it's not going to last. But you'll find real joy. I'll find real joy. We will find real joy. When we can say, you know what? This is who I am. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to worship like I mean it. I'm going to pray like it matters. And I'm going to live like Jesus is real. Would you just focus on those three things this week? And I know some of you got hardships you're going through, heartache you're dealing with, problems that maybe I don't even know about. But would you just try this week? Would you just try every day in your prayer time and just in your regular walk with the Lord every day, would you just try to do those three things? Worship like you mean it. Pray like it matters. And live like Jesus is real. And then would you just dive into Philippians with us? You read it every day. There's only four chapters. You can read it over and over throughout the week. Read it every day. Come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and and we're going to find a man in this book called Philippians. We're going to find a man who found joy. And I'm going to show you throughout the book different places where one or two or all three of those things are found in this book where Paul would worship like he meant it, where Paul would pray like it matters, where Paul would live like Jesus is real. Let's do that too. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the promise, the hope that we have in you. And I'm grateful for what you're doing in my life and what you're doing in our church and giving us a taste of revival. God, I pray it will continue. I pray, Lord, that we will find joy in Jesus, not in our circumstances, but joy in spite of our circumstances. I pray, Lord, that joy in Jesus will become the theme of our life this week. Help us. Because Satan wants to steal our joy. He wants to steal our peace. He wants to drag us back into the mud hole we came out of. So remind us, I pray, to worship like we mean it, Pray like it matters and live like Jesus is real. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.